Have you heard about our Thanksgiving side dish recipe swap, where we invite you to send us your grandmother's Swiss chard recipe or your own unique take on yams, a classic stuffing, or an unconventional cranberry relish? Whether it's baked, curried, steamed, or fried, share it with your fellow Low Paid Show listeners on our show page by Thursday, November 17th. And then on Tuesday, November 22nd, New York Times food writer Melissa Clark stops by to discuss her favorites and to talk to the winners. More information on how to post your Thanksgiving side dish recipe is on our show page at WNYC.org. It was headline news for quite a while, but during the past month or so, we've heard very little about what's happening at the damaged Fukushima nuclear power plant in Japan. So does that mean that the crisis is over or or has been resolved? Well, joining me now is Dr. Edwin Lyman, a senior staff scientist in the Global Security Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. Very pleased to welcome him to our show today for today's underreported segment. Hi. Hello. As I mentioned, the story is no longer in the headlines. Has the situation with the reactors been fixed? Uh, Well, unfortunately, uh, I wouldn't go that far. Uh, The uh, Tokyo Electric Power Company released an update today, and they are making some progress, but it's going to still be a very rocky road. So uh, even though it's disappeared from the headlines, it's still very much uh, a serious safety issue in Japan. Is radiation still being released into the environment? There is a, still a radiation being released, but it's gone down, at least according to the authorities, by uh, several million times from its peak. And this is because the, uh, they've managed to cool the uh, fuel within the reactors to below the boiling point of water, and that has uh, partially stabilized them. So the cores are cooling down? Uh, that's what they uh, say, yes. That's what they say. <laughs> Sounds like you're a bit skeptical. Well, um, you know, there have been uh, problems all along with their indications. And one of the big problems is that they still can't see what's going on inside. So you had three reactors where the fuel uh, melted, and uh, it's uh, speculated that uh, it melted through the steel reactor vessels that contained it. And, but they just don't know how much fuel is still left in the reactor and how much may have, may have fallen to the floor of the containment. So uh, they don't really know, have a good picture of the state of the reactor. All they can do is take measurements and uh, uh, without uh, without actually seeing inside. Can they deal with it in a similar way to the way the Soviets dealt with the Chernobyl meltdown? Well, um, I don't think that's uh, probably a good model to follow because the Soviets uh, built a you know concrete structure of the reactor called a sarcophagus and uh, it wasn't... Uh, let's say, built that carefully, and so it has to be rebuilt now. Uh, They did build a cover over the damaged Unit 1 reactor. Uh, If you recall, uh, Units 1, 3, and 4 all had hydrogen explosions that ripped uh, the roofs off, and uh, that uh, accelerated the release of radiation to the environment. So they have managed to build a uh, a polyester cover over Unit 1, and if that succeeds in... in, uh, reducing uh, the dispersion of, of radioactive rubble, uh, then they're going to do that for the other side, for the other reactors. Well, if the walls were blown off, uh, why couldn't they uh, see what was happening with the reactors? Yeah, well, th- there are many different uh, structures. What um, th- The fuel is contained in uh, a steel vessel, and that itself is in a shell, uh, which is called the primary containment, and then there's a concrete wall around that. And then there's a larger concrete reactor building, 
And so what actually uh, blew open was that outer shell, the reactor building, uh, but they still can't see uh, visually inside the, uh, uh, the layer of the concrete surrounding the containment. Earlier this month, a Japanese cabinet member publicly drank some decontaminated, decontaminated water from the plant. Uh, do you think that that was a safe thing for him to do? Uh, well, I'm sure that they uh, measured very carefully to ensure that uh, the level of contamination was low. But as a matter of public policy, uh, this is something that uh, Japanese government officials seem to think they need to do as some sort of penance. Uh, they did it, you know, they've... Uh, uh, eaten uh, vegetables that were uh, outside the perimeter of the Tokaimura uh, fuel fabrication plant in 1999 when they had a criticality accident. Uh, Japanese officials have offered to eat and drink plutonium on television. Uh, it's uh, some sort of ritual, but I don't think it's meaningful. Uh, and uh, Well, it sounds dangerous uh, yeah. to be a government official. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it's part of the job to have to occasionally, you know, ingest radioactive materials, yes. There have been claims that the amount of radiation released by the incident was far worse than uh, what the Japanese government has admitted to, but there have been other findings that the amount of radiation released was close to one-tenth of Chernobyl. Why is there such a drastic range of, of estimates uh, this far out of, out of the disaster? Well, one problem is there's uh, very limited information in the uh, critical first few days after the accident. Because of the the earthquake and the tsunami and widespread power failures, a lot of uh, radiation monitoring equipment in the vicinity of the site was disabled. So they were really working blind the first few days. And uh, so they only have partial information now. They know know what's on the ground now. They can... um, uh, reconstruct the meteorological conditions and try to figure out how the plumes traveled. But, uh, you know, it's such a highly complex problem to try to recreate the uh, the meteorology over a long period of time when you, you don't know, you know how much is being released that uh, it's just a very uncertain prospect. And so you'd expect to see large uncertainties for a long time. My guest on today's first underreported segment is Dr. Edwin Lyman, a senior staff scientist in the Global Security Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. This is WNYC, WNYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. How much land is contaminated with radiation, it will, and it, will it be uninhabitable? Well, uh, I guess it depends how you define contaminated. Um, the uh, most contaminated areas are within... Uh, uh, roughly uh, 50 or 60 miles of the plant. But because of certain uh, conditions, uh, the occurrence of rain, certain periods of time, there have been hot spots that have been detected as far away as, as Tokyo, which is 130 miles away from the plant. And so um, there have been, uh, you know, probably a thousand square miles or more that have been contaminated to the extent that um, that any, any reasonable, you know, um, radiation protection specialists would say we shouldn't let people live there unless that area gets uh, decontaminated. Unfortunately, the debate right now is, um, you know, how safe, how clean is clean, and how much radiation should be uh, tolerated for people so they can return to their homes. Well, the fallout from Chernobyl uh, drifted all the way north into Scandinavia. Uh, Is uh, this a a, a luckier situation because uh, so much of it will just be uh, carried out to sea? 
Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of differences uh, with Chernobyl. Uh, Chernobyl had a very violent um, uh, explosion right at the beginning of the accident, and then it also had a very hot fire because it had uh, graphite in the core and that, that burns. And so that caused a very hot plume that rose uh, high into the air, and so it caused you know, the radioactive material to disperse much further. Now, in the case of Fukushima, you didn't have that hot fire, and so the uh, the radiation really was settled closer to the site. So it didn't um, travel as far, for the most part. But the Japanese government announced today that it will ban rice grown in the Onami district of Fukushima after high levels of cesium were detected. So... Uh, this is going to be a serious problem for a while, isn't it, for anyone who tries to grow stuff in the area? Uh, yes, it will, uh, because uh, the cesium-137 has a, a half-life of 30 years, so after 30 years, you still have half what you start out with, and so that's going to be a long-term contamination problem for residential and for agricultural areas. And more than 100,000 people have yet to return to their homes. That's eight months after the disaster. So uh, do you think they'll ever be able to return or return within the next 100 years or so? Well, um, I think probably many of them will return, but again, uh, there's still a lot of difficult decisions that have to be made. Again, how how much, uh, you know, above background radiation uh, should people be exposed to because there was a nuclear accident and live in their homes? I I think that uh, the, the Japanese really should decontaminate those areas uh, down to as close as background as possible, uh, and that would be a much more expensive job than what they're contemplating, which is essentially um, allowing uh, people to come back and get the same level of radiation as a, a radiation worker in a nuclear power plant might be allowed to get. And so that, that's really, I think, unacceptable from a public health perspective. Well, hasn't the Japanese government changed the acceptable level of radiation for people several times? Uh, yes. I mean, they've been responding to public pressure, but the the, the status of it now is they, uh, th- these are still moving targets. Uh, but I, I haven't seen them really uh, moving to uh, decide firmly that they are going to uh, try to reduce radiation to... Um, essentially background levels. And uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency has not been helpful. They put out a report cautioning the Japanese not to be too conservative, you know, not to worry too much about radiation and, you know, to clean up stuff that you don't need to clean up. And, and I, I think that's the wrong approach. How much of the uh, the problem uh, uh, here is uh, caused by design flaws in the plant? Well, there were a number of aspects that had to do with... Uh, flawed design, uh, and there were a number of aspects that had to do with the uh, inadequacy of the response. But uh, I think that uh, as we go forward, you really should design nuclear power plants to um, to withstand as wide a range of accidents as possible. And you can't expect that you can allow something as serious as Fukushima to occur and have the personnel be able to mitigate that accident. And so... Um, there were some design aspects. I mean, these plants were very close together, and we know now that um, the uh, explosions at uh, one unit greatly disrupted the ability to stabilize the neighboring unit. And so you may wonder if uh, we should not be building nuclear uh, units as close together uh, in the future. That's one, one thing. Well, Germany has started to turn away from nuclear power. On the other hand, China has 25 plants 
slated to come online in the United States. We're debating whether we should have uh, more nuclear power plants. And I've learned that the Japanese government is going ahead with nuclear exporting deals with countries like Vietnam, Jordan, and Lithuania. So uh, has anybody other than Germany uh, been frightened by this experience? Uh, yeah, there are a couple of other countries that have backed away. I think Switzerland and uh, Italy, and I think also Thailand. But um, uh, you know, the nuclear industry is a resilient force in a lot of countries. Uh, many, uh, you know, government uh, technocrats are real, really still taken with the the dream of uh, power that's too cheap to meter, even though that's long since been uh, disproven. And so, uh, it, it is discouraging if a country like China is uh, not going to really seriously evaluate their own uh, uh, regulation of nuclear power plants and, and go forward in a big way without seriously taking into account Fukushima. I think that could be a real recipe for disaster. Well, considering how expensive the cleanup is and the fact that nuclear power plants are, are cheaper largely because they depend on government subsidies, um, should we even be talking about this? There's a tremendous uproar about the licensing renewal process for the Indian Point nuclear power plant north of the city on the Hudson. Some people have seen design flaws there. Uh, Indian Point is definitely a, a concern uh, of ours. Uh, it, the population within 50 miles of the plant is, is well over 16 million people. It's the highest in, in the U.S. So it, it And also... Uh, we know that New York City is a is a favorite uh, and recurring target of Al Qaeda, and so Indian Point would seem to be a, a logical uh, target for them in the future. So I think that has a unique um, uh, place and really deserves special scrutiny. Uh, the Union of Concerned Scientists doesn't oppose nuclear power per se, but we do believe that it has to be as safe and secure as possible. And unless uh, we see the Nuclear Regulatory Commission taking real steps to address uh, the uh, failures uh, of their regulatory system that we knew about before Fukushima, and also uh, unless they address the, the lessons that became clear after Fukushima, then uh, uh, we're going to just get increasingly concerned about whether uh, nuclear power is going to be a safe option for the future. Well, doesn't all power come at a price? Coal uh, causes problems. Uh, oil has causes problems. Uh, is anything 100% fail-safe? No. I mean, uh, most uh, most methods of generating electricity, of course, have major environmental liabilities, and no economist uh, you know, I know of has been able to come up with a convincing way to compare uh, one and the other. Uh, I think you have to take each on their own terms. But, uh, you know, you, I don't think anyone can look at what happened to Fukushima and say that's an acceptable outcome even, you know, once every thousand years. Uh, this uh, type of thing has to—you have to spend uh, the money that you need to uh, reduce the risk uh, you know, to vanishingly small level, and um, and that means you have to—you have to really believe and understand the risk of the technology that you're dealing with. And I don't think the nuclear industry has really appreciated that risk uh, until now. So, what are some of the the, the possible solutions if we continue with nuclear? Uh, better designs of plants or uh, putting them in places where there are very small populations? I think, uh, you know, a mix of of, uh, of approaches. I think both of those are, are advisable. Um, I think, again, a, a greater emphasis on prevention uh, so that you, um, 
when you design and you license a nuclear power plant, you, you kind of draw an envelope around those types of accidents that you're willing to think about and those that you don't want to think about. And I think that where you draw that line really needs to be expanded now because what happened to Fukushima was definitely beyond the imagination of uh, nuclear engineers, and it's not clear it should have been. So uh, there are definitely design uh, changes you can make to nuclear power, but you, you know, you're know you not going to be able to make anything uh, 100% safe. And so it, it really depends on how big is that residual risk, how much money it's going to cost to achieve that risk, and uh, how does that compare to uh, you know approaches to energy generation that don't have the potential for contaminating thousands of square miles with radiation like, uh, re- like renewables. Dr. Edwin Lyman is a senior staff scientist in the Global Security Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists. Thank you so much for participating in today's first underreported segment. Thank you so much. 